Thank you for downloading this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We pray that you receive encouragement from the study of God's Holy Word and that you will grow in the faith and understanding of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, I'm going to pray and then we'll, we'll get started. Father, as always, I thank you for this community of believers, Lord. I, I'm truly blessed to be, to be part of such a wonderful family, and I thank you for them, and I thank you for this opportunity. Um, as always, please guide me and, and help me say, say what you want me to say. In Jesus' name, amen. I, I know most of you know me. I, did somebody just let? <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> Okay, just a quick aside. Linmer and I went to go see a play last night um, down at uh, uh, the P. It's not the PAC anymore. Whatever it is, downtown. We went to see uh, Elf, and um, uh, we went because one of our friend's sons was uh, was in the performance, and uh, we met him afterwards. and uh, And he said, "I knew you were here from the moment the play started." <laughs> Because apparently they have a mic to pick up the ambient room noise so the actors, you know, in the wings know when it's time for them to come on. And um, apparently the mic picked up my laugh really, really well. Um, so, yeah, feel free to laugh at me. Um, anyway, I like photography. Um, it's, uh, it's a fun way for me to express my creativity and, and that sort of thing. And it's something I've done for a while. It's not, I, I, you know, I, I'm not particularly good at it. I, I know we have people in this church that are, are much better at it. Uh, one of the most frustrating things about my marriage was I tried for years to get Lynn Marie involved in photography, and she, she wouldn't do it, she wouldn't do it, she wouldn't do it, and one day she picked up my camera, and that one day she became a better photographer than I am. I should just see stuff that I don't get, but anyway, there are things that you use in photography to enhance your pictures, and it's not to change the image, but it's really, it's to help you portray what it is that you see with your eyes. So there are things that you can add to the front of your lens to change the image that you record. And of course, now that everything's digital, it really is uh, a recording. Um, go ahead and switch, switch slides. There it is. Um, that is a polarizing filter. And that doesn't mean that it's a filter that makes you argue with people or choose one opinion over the other. But it's like, a, it's like the lenses that you get in your sunglasses. There are, there are lines that run through it. And what it does is it blocks sunlight or a certain amount of sunlight to get through. And so it, you go, uh, so if the sun is here, you turn at a 90 degree angle and it changes what you see because it blocks out certain reflections of light. And you don't think about it very often, but when you're outside and the sun is shining, there are a lot of reflections. Even off of leaves, I mean, it's not just off of shiny objects that you would normally think, but it's off of leaves, it's off of objects, and that sort of thing. And so what you do is you, uh, it, it's circular, and what you do is you change it and it moves and you can see the sky get darker. And so if you, if you had to choose between those two photographs, which would you choose? Well, if you use the polarizing filter on the right, it makes it a much more attractive picture. Next slide, please. So with black and white photography, it's kind of interesting. You, you wouldn't necessarily, you could still use that polarizing filter to, to block out some of the light. But in this particular case, what you do is you use a filter that is just red. That's all it is. It's just a solid red disc and you put it on the end of your lens and what it does is it blocks out red light. And so what that does is, is it deepens the greens and it deepens the blues that happen to be there, in a, that would be there in a color photograph, but in a black and white, it just makes it appear more contrasty. It makes the clouds pop out a little bit more. You can actually see some of the gray in the clouds a little bit more, makes the sky a, a darker color. And the whole point and purpose of that, again, is to capture 
better picture. Next slide, please. Um, that is not an alien planet. Uh, for those of you that have a camera, it comes with your camera automatically on the on the um, uh, on the optics of your camera where the where the picture is actually recorded. There is a coating on that that blocks out infrared light. Now, when I was growing up back in the old days, when you know dinosaurs still roamed the earth and dirt was new. You could do infrared photography, but you had to use a special film. Well, when they created these, these digital cameras, they found that these, these optics picked up infrared, um, infrared light. And so it would change the picture. Because again, when you're, when, you're, when you're getting a picture, you're taking a photograph, you want to portray what your eye sees, right? So if you, if you, there's actually services for this. If you take your camera into a special place, they will actually remove that, that coating that's on the, the optical receptor of your camera. This is actually a picture of a tree in infrared. And you'll notice that it looks, looks a little bit different. The leaves are white, the, the grass is white, the sky is sort of a, a weird dark color. But that's because that film was removed. That's not how it actually looked, but because that person had that, that coating removed, this is the picture that they got. It's not accurate, it's not real, it's still a cool picture. I've always wanted to do infrared photography, but I, of course I've also wanted to be six feet tall and have a full head of hair, and that didn't happen either. Um, but, you know, it's still an interesting photograph, but it's not realistic. It's not what was real there. And interestingly, just as a, just as a side note, you know, there are things that can happen that, that can fool your eye, right? Not necessarily with pictures, although that's true. Go ahead and go to the next uh, slide. Is that picture moving or not? Okay, look at the picture in the upper right-hand corner, then go to the upper left-hand corner, and move your eye around the picture. Does it move? It doesn't. It appears to move, but it doesn't really. That is, that is a trick of your eye because of the way that uh, your, your optic nerve is, etc. So you see something that isn't really happening. You see something that isn't really there. That's true with a lot of us, right? We go back to the camera analogy, we, we look at this, all of us have our own internal filters. We all have things that change how we see the world. And some of those things are, are you know, the filters of experience. We've, we've learned to see life a certain way. We, we've seen a similar reaction or similar things over and over again. And so we anticipate those things to go forward. And so we have these internal filters. Some of the filters that we have is because of our upbringing, right? We just, you know, our parents pass on to us some, some things that may or may not be accurate the way they see life. We pass on to our children things that may not be accurate the way that we see life. Um, and sometimes, you know, our filters are caused by our own choices. You know, the, the, the ways we decide to live our life. And sometimes like this, this, uh, this optical illusion, what we see isn't necessarily true. What we experience isn't necessarily true or real, but it's based on, on our experiences. So because of these filters, we see things differently from each other, don't we? You know, they, they talk about how 
you know, witnesses at a crime scene uh, will see different things. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this at work, but you could have a group of people at the same meeting and you, you think you have agreement of what's going on and you find out a week later that it's like you guys were at totally different meetings and all of you are sort of going in a wildly different direction because of what you thought happened. But it didn't really, or maybe it did, but you all interpreted it, interpreted it. A couple too many syllables. Those are free. Um, but everybody interpreted it different. And so they all went in their own direction. So because of these filters, we see things differently from each other. We ascribe motivations to things that we have no business doing, right? We assume motivations in others because of our experience, right? Because of these internal filters. We see people do things and we just assume we know what their motivations are. Uh, we prescribe solutions that may not work. You see this in very successful people um, where, um, in essence, they are a, a, a one-trick pony. They're very successful, and they've been successful because of everything they've done has always been the same. Whenever they encounter a problem, they do this and this and this and this, and they always either get through the problem or through the trouble, and they get to a certain point, a certain level of success, but then eventually they come up against that wall where everything that they've done, everything that they've always done, doesn't seem to work anymore. Right, But because of their experience, they believe that it will, and they just keep hitting that same wall over and over again, like a bee running into a piece of glass. We describe situations as they appear to us. We may be in a situation at work, we may be in a uh, you know, uh, situation in a relationship, and we only see things one way. You know, we, we see things, we have a job, we, we have problems with a boss, we have troubles feeling good about our work anymore. And all we can see is what we see, right? We, we don't necessarily know what's going behind the scenes or, you know, our, our, every job is political to a certain degree. Or are people working behind the scenes to help you or to hinder you? You don't know, you're not there. You may think things are happening, but you're just not sure. But you see a situation one way. Uh, when, when my dad and stepmom uh, got married, um, I came home from school once, and I've told this story before, and it, it's funny now. It wasn't funny at the time. And uh, we used to live, I think it's called Anchor Point now, but we used to live in Northridge Lakes. And in Northridge Lakes, um, they, were, they were townhouses, right, side by side. And you would walk in the front door, and there was like a little vestibule and you would come around the corner and then you would walk into the living room and there was a, a three and a half story. It was like a cathedral ceiling went straight up. And so the living room was here. And then, you know, you go up a half a flight and there was a kitchen and a dinette. Go up another half a flight. There was a bedroom. Go up another half a flight. There were two more bedrooms and another bathroom. And so I walked in after school and both my uh, both my dad and my stepmom were home. And my dad was way across the room with his back against the uh, the sliding glass door and my stepmom, who's all of like five foot three, um, was standing there with a pistol. Uh, I know, with a pistol, with the, with the hammer cocked back. And they were arguing. They were arguing. And in my head, that was like a 357 that she had in her hand. All of a sudden, my teeny weeny stepmom became Dirty Harry. And uh, my dad was the one who was going to feel lucky punk. And um, I wasn't sure what they were arguing about. But I knew my dad was going to get shot, so I left. Um, I didn't want. It was not. It was not. It was not my bravest moment. Uh, but I was a freshman. My life was in front of me, and I didn't see a need to end it there. So I went to a friend's house for a while, 
and waited for the police. But, um, <laughs> but I, I left and uh, <laughs> love my dad, just, just not enough to take a bullet for him, apparently, at 15. Um, as it turned out, what they were arguing about was uh, what to do with the pistol because the, um, my stepmom had purchased it um, in, in Louisiana and it was technically, the, the legality of it was, was questionable because in Louisiana, like in different counties down there or parishes where they call it, you needed a license to own a gun here, but not here. Um, but you need a you needed to have a you needed a special registration to purchase a gun here, but not here. So what would happen is someone from this parish would go buy the gun because you didn't need to have a license to buy the gun in this county, and then you didn't need it anyway. So um, the hammer was stuck back, and it was loaded, and we couldn't get the we she couldn't get the cylinder out because of the way it was, and they were arguing over what to do with the gun. She was not gonna to kill my dad, and um, at least not over that. They've been married a long time. I'm sure they've had other options. Um, but subsequently, they never did anything with that pistol, nothing. And so when my parents moved out of their house a couple years ago, um, they weren't allowed to bring firearms with them to the, uh, <laughs> to the place where they moved. And so my stepmom said, hey, we still have that gun. Would you take care of it? I don't know what to do with this thing. So um, I find it, it is in a brown paper bag. <laughs> it couldn't look, it couldn't look any more shifty. And so I, I, you know, I'm in awe of this 357 that I've just come into, into ownership of with the hammer stuck back. I don't know what to do with it. And I take it out of the bag. It's not, a, it's a 22. It's the tiniest little 22 you've ever seen in your life. I don't know what I saw uh, in 1982, but it looked huge when it was going to shoot my dad. Um, but in reality, I mean, I'm sure it still would have done damage and potentially would have hurt him a great deal, but it wasn't what I saw. What did I see? What did I, what did I, I, I throw into the interpretation of that moment in my fear and panic of my own death versus my dad's and what he was going to be killed with and what was the reality of it? And so often that is so true with us. We get into a moment or we live our lives and we're so unaware of our internal filters. We're so unaware of how we're interpreting a situation because of what we've experienced that we see things wrong or we do things wrong because we're not accurate in our interpretation. In Luke chapter 10, verse 30, it says, Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other, excuse me, on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his, uh, his wounds with olive oil and wine, and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he, where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? Uh, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. 
Now in this story, the Samaritan saw this Jewish man differently than did both the priest and the temple assistant, didn't he? Now we need to take this in context, right? The Jews and the Samaritans didn't mix. They didn't like each other at all. They didn't hang out together. They didn't go to parties. They didn't talk. They didn't interact. They didn't mingle. But in the story, the Samaritan was walking by, and he saw this Jewish man, and that man was worthy of his help. Even though they wouldn't have talked, even though they wouldn't have hung out, they wouldn't have gotten along, in this particular instance, that man lying there on the street was worthy of his help. He was worthy of his treasure. He was worthy of saving. And so regardless of everything that had happened in this man's life as a Samaritan, interacting with with Jews, as Jews interacting with Samaritans, he still saw this man's life as important. And he took care of him. And he made sure he was taken care of with his own money, with his own time, with his own effort. And of course, he didn't leave the innkeeper in a lurch either, did he? He said, no, he would pay him for anything that was beyond those two silver coins. So he saw beyond his internal filters. Now we understand that that's a parable, right? That's just a story. Maybe it happened, maybe it didn't happen. It was a story that Jesus told to to get a a point across. Well, in Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision, right? Um, And and at this moment, at this time in Acts chapter 10, the scripture notes that that Peter is hungry, and the meal is being prepared, and he falls asleep. It's one of my favorite times to take a nap. It really is. When the, when the house is just filled with the aroma of an upcoming meal and you're sitting down, it's like, oh, this is great. Um, and you fall asleep. I, honestly, I think every time is a great time to fall asleep. I don't, I don't, if the house smells like wet dog, I don't care. I'm going to sleep. Anyway, Peter's hungry. The meal is being prepared and he falls asleep. Peter has a vision, right? And in this vision, a sheet comes out of the air and on that sheet, is all kinds of live, unclean food. Nothing that Peter ever would have considered for a meal. Nothing. That is not something he would have eaten. Nothing on that, on that thing uh, uh, was, was worth his time and he wouldn't have eaten. And a voice from heaven tells him to go, get up, kill, and eat. Take what's on that sheet, kill it, and eat it. And Peter says, no, he's never eaten anything common or unclean. And then the voice from heaven says, Do not call anything impure that God has made, uh, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And three times this happens, right? Now I, I need to I need to point this out. This was a vision, okay? It's not, it's not like all of a sudden Peter decided to, to, to become non-kosher and eat stuff that he wasn't allowed. This was a vision. It didn't actually occur. But it was a vision. And he wakes up, and the Bible says he was perplexed. <laughs> at what just happened. Who of us wouldn't have been? At that moment, representatives from a wealthy centurion show up and ask Peter to come with them. Peter, we need you. And from there, they go to Cornelius' home, and Peter explains how he should not be there in the home of a non-Jew, and he says that God has shown him that he should not call any person common or unclean. It wasn't about the food that was on the, on the sheet. It wasn't about getting up and eating. It was about changing Peter's perspective of who God was going to call in his kingdom. And if God is going to take a non-Jew and call him pure, who was Peter to say that he was common or unclean? 
And as a result of this change, Cornelius' entire family and staff are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Because Peter was willing to change his internal filters, was, was willing to change how he saw people because God told him to. Because God told him that, because God gave him that vision, people came into the kingdom of God. People were saved. Not just, not just the rich guy, but his whole staff. And in order for us to change our filters, we have to change the source of our filters, don't we? In Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 5, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think, of you, don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. Bless you. Soberly, realistically, look at yourself. That's where it all begins. In comparison to what? In comparison to our Lord. Not in comparison to each other. Because all of us are in a different place in our walk, right? All of us began at a different place in our walk with the Lord. When we were adopted into the family of God, we all come from different places. And so we see things differently. But we need to see things the way God sees them. And so take a realistic look at yourself. And that should be an ongoing thing. Our relationship with God doesn't have an autopilot. You are a different person today than you were yesterday. You are a different person today, certainly much more different than you were a year ago because you've experienced stuff. Good stuff, bad stuff, evil stuff, nasty stuff, happy stuff. And so you're not the same person. And so we need to be about that constant assessment of where we are, who we are, and how we compare to what God wants us to be. Where are you at in your walk with God? What are your faults? What are your weaknesses? <laughs> it's, it's fascinating to me how some things God takes away from us and some things we struggle with the rest of our lives. Like there, are, I, I, have a, I have a problem with a, with a certain kind of tree in my yard. And I let them go way too much, and I'm going to need help cutting them down because I don't know what to do with them. Um, but they are uh, mulberry trees. And it's not mulberry bush. These are trees. You, these are climbing trees. You could climb these things because I didn't cut them down when they were young. And here's the problem. I have cut them down. And they grow back. Doesn't matter how often I cut them down, they grow back. And if you don't cut them early, they get mulberries on them. And then the birds eat them, and you get more. And they're awful, and they're everywhere. And you cut them down, and they come back. So you got to poison the root. 
You got to poison the stump, right? So, so I need to wait. I need to wait until it's warm out again. And so, you know, I can actually poison the stump before I, I cut some of these down. But um, the same thing is true with us. There are some things in us that the root gets poisoned and we don't have a problem with ever, ever again. But there are some things that will remain your weakness. There are some things that will always be a temptation to you that may never, will never go away. And you need to be aware of what that is. So you don't place yourself in situations where that, where that weakness is, 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 you know, brought to the front or, or, or you're tempted beyond your capacity to take it. You need to be aware of what those weaknesses are. And it's okay to know what your strengths are. You know, so often when people assess, you know, where they're at or who they are, they really emphasize the weaknesses and the downsides of, of what they think they are. And you know, God gave you strengths. There isn't a person in this room that's been adopted in the family of God that doesn't have a gift or two or several or more. You are worthy of God's love, which makes you worthy, which means you have strengths. You have abilities, and it's okay to know what those are. When I, uh, when I work with my, with my employees at work, there are, and I've had this argument with bosses all the time, we, you know, we, we want you to train, right? We, we want our employees to get better, and so we send our employees to classes, and we, we expect them to do certain things and to grow. But a person's weakness will never be their strength. You can get better at something, but it will never be your strength, right? I've used this example before. I am not athletic, not. I've never been. My eyesight is poor, so catching, throwing, whatever is difficult for me. Always has been, always will be. I could have worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I will guarantee you I would not have made it into the NBA. Maybe it's that I'm five foot 10 and have no depth perception and couldn't find the hoop to save my life. And maybe it's because I've got a two-inch vertical. I don't know. <laughs> but I could have worked on that every day. But I wouldn't have excelled, right? But there are things that I do well. And there are things that you do well. And you should work on those strengths. Certainly, you should work on your weaknesses and make those better and make them better than they were. But likely, is they'll never be your strengths. So what are you good at? Maybe you don't know. That's why God places us in a body. This is why God, this is why we are together. So we can form these friendships, these close, personal, God-filled friendships. So you can walk up to a brother or sister in Christ and say, what do you think I'm good at? That's why we have home groups. So we can test things out. So we can test the water. So we can discover what we're good at within the body of Christ. And then we need to let God transform us, don't we? Replacing behaviors with God's life. Changing the way you think and what you think about and how you think about things by replacing your thoughts with God's thoughts, the way God thinks about things. Right? When God sees a person, he sees a, a, a person who's not yet adopted in the family of God, he loves them anyway, right? Well, how do you feel about that person? Does it, does it depend on what they look like? Does it depend on where they live? Does it depend on what kind of car they drive? It doesn't to God, so it shouldn't to us, right? Taking what he wrote in his word and applying it changes our filters. It changes who we are. You can't help it, 
right? I've joked about this before, but I am not, I'm not um, a person who gives his money away. I like money. I want to keep it. I want to be like Scrooge McDuck and do a swan dive into a, a thing of golden coins and just do the backstroke in all my money. That's what I that's what I'm good at. That's what I want to do. That's not God, that's not what God wants me to do. So God stuck me with a partner who wants to give everything away. <laughs> Don't ask my wife for ten dollars. But that's what it, I mean, but that's what we do, right? We, we, we look at generosity, not, I look at generosity as something that God wants me to do. And so that's necessitated a change. When Jim and I were growing up, I was a different, I was a different person in high school than I am now. My, not just in appearance, but in so many different ways. Um, you know, my self-esteem came from what I had. Um, you know, I grew up differently than a lot of the people I went to school with because my parents had money. And that was important to me. And that difference was important to me. Well, Philippians chapter 2, one of my favorite verses in the Bible and something that I live by, says, Do nothing out of vain conceit or selfish ambition, but in all humility consider others better than yourselves. And that's something that I've taken to heart, and that's something that I live by. There isn't a human being that walks the face of the earth that I think I'm better than because I'm not. God doesn't see me better than they are. Then why should I? Proverbs 20:30. I joke about this one a lot. It's my favorite. This is my favorite scripture. Blows and wounds cleanse away evil. Beatings purge the inmost being. And sometimes I say that scripture out of context and talk about how I would like to uh, purge and cleanse away evil from other drivers when I'm on the freeway um, by showering them with blows and wounds. But what this means to me in the way that God has applied it to my life is that whatever trouble that I come through or whatever problem I come up against, it's making me a better child of God. What other people mean for harm for me, because I don't blame God for my troubles, Oh my goodness, so many of the troubles that I experience are because of my own darn fault, because of the stupid things that I do. But sometimes you just meet people that are jerks. You work for someone that, that really doesn't care for you, does not like the cut of your jib, and it's going to make your life, you know, just bad. That's okay. That's okay. Because God is going to take what other people mean for harm to make us better children of God. We all go through stuff, and it's going to happen. What you do with that and how you apply it to your life really depends a lot on how you perceive it, how you allow it to filter through into your life. God's words say that we judge by appearances and God judges the heart. You know, we talk about weaknesses that never go away. So often I find myself still looking and judging motivation. And that's something that Scripture says, that's not up to you. It's not up to me. I don't know your motivation. I don't know anybody's motivation. Oh my goodness. There are times where I don't know my own motivation. Could you please explain to me why I needed that third donut? I don't know what the motivation was. It was shiny and glazed. It must be eaten. That was my motivation. But Scripture says, God judges the heart, right? Scripture says, judge the tree by the fruit that it bears. We do get to judge by the evidence. What is the fruit in somebody's life? What is it that we're seeing? Motivation, none of my business. 
And certainly that's in God's word, and that's something that I have to come back to all the time. All the time. I've been saved for a really long time, and I, I, I continue to struggle with that one. I'm hoping I don't <laughs> continue to struggle with that one. But that's something that the Holy Spirit has brought to my attention, something that I will continue to work on. Lastly, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, I was circumcised when I was eight days old. This is Paul speaking. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it as all garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection of the dead. Talk about a change of filters. Talk about a, a change of the way that someone saw the world. Someone who thought they were righteous because of what they did had an encounter with grace. And it changed everything. And the same thing should be true with us. It's not a one-time thing. It's an ongoing effort through our actions, through reading the Word of God, through replacing behaviors and thoughts, and recognizing which thoughts and behaviors need to be changed. Because it's all about growing into the person of God that God wants you to be. We're heading into New Year's. This week, I am so ready for 2019 to be over. I just, I just want to take a pillow and put it on 2019's face and just get it over with. Just gently stroke its hair and say, stop struggling. But it's a new year. And it's a new opportunity for us. Each year we go through this, we, we create resolutions, we talk about resolutions, we talk about things that we want to change. We laugh about things that we decided to do last year that we just did the opposite of. My weight loss turned into weight gain, all sorts of stuff. But this is a good opportunity for us. Our relationship with Christ is ongoing. There is no X marks the spot until we go be with him. So I want to encourage you to make the effort to take the step, to do the self-assessment, to look for the filters, to look for the things that you are, are seeing life through that need to change. I can't tell you what those are. That's between you and the Holy Spirit. And it takes time with the Holy Spirit in order for you to find out what those are. So take that time. Take the opportunity to be the better daughter or son of God that you can be in the upcoming year. Become more Christ-like. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, as always, for my salvation. But Lord, I also thank you that you didn't just come to, to, to pluck me out of the water as a drowning man, Lord, but you also came to teach me how to live here. And that you're with each and every one of us, Lord, so that we can live the life that you have for us, that we can live that better life that you've ascribed for us. And Lord, help us to, to, to spend the time to make it a priority, Lord, to see how important it is 
to make that assessment so we can see life, so that we can see people, so that we can see problems in the way that you want us to see them. And we thank you in advance for doing that with us and for us, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. So please stand and receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine on you, be gracious to you. May he lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you again for downloading and listening to this message from Grace Christian Fellowship. We are located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And if you are looking for a church to call home or would like to visit us for one of our services, please visit our site at gracecf.us for our location and service times. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit.